Let's move beyond your comfort zone and into your genius zone because it's time to tap into the higher wisdom within you, your higher genius. I'm your host, Christy Turley, author of the book, The Intuition-Led Business, serial entrepreneur and intuitive intelligence expert. Imagine the possibilities when you can make better decisions and create practical and sustainable solutions using the power of your intuition, your higher genius. This is the Higher Genius Podcast. All right, welcome to the show, Ralph. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on. Yeah, it's good to have you. So we were just talking about before how a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders think that they're really good at leadership and they're not actually that great. <laughs> and, well, I don't know. <laughs> and so I want, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. First, yeah. I want you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your background and your story and how you got into what you do. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'd be happy to. I am, I'm a, I work in management development. So I work with people who are interested in becoming a manager or becoming a more effective manager. And I need to just point out that I am saying manager and I am intentionally saying manager and I am not using the word leader. So intentionally, okay. I'm not getting them wrong. I'm not interchanging them. I'm not a big fan of the word leader. I'm not a big fan of the concept of leader. I'm far more hardworking than that. And that's where management comes in. So just so we're... <laughs> well, that's a good point, you know, because yeah. um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners don't consider themselves managers because they hire managers for that. But yeah. at, at the core, they really are managers. So when we when you hear that word today, guys, everybody listening, guys and girls, <laughs> we're talking about you. We're not talking about the we're, people beneath you, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And here, let me just let me kind of explain myself a little bit. A leader is someone who is the visionary, right? It's someone who has the good idea, someone who at any moment's notice can pick up the baton and lead a group somewhere to something at some time. That's really great. And I there's power in that. And the best part about leadership is you don't have to have a title. You can be anywhere in any position in any organization or at home in your neighborhood, in your church, your community. And you can one day just decide to lead anything, right? You can take a movement, you can, you can do it. The problem with leadership in that sense is it's not repeatable, right? It's not measurable. It's very, and it's only the visionary piece of it. It's not the action piece of it. So you ever see those little, mm-hmm. you ever see those, uh, those pictures, like they're very, like a, the social media, there's always pictures depicting a manager and a leader, right? And the leader is, uh, in front of the troops and he's got the sword raised and he's all like, come with me. And the manager's behind them with a whip, right? And the, and the manager's whipping. Just think about it like this. A, a leader, that may be true that the leader's in the front kind of with the, with the guiding light. The manager always is seen like in the back beating somebody up or forcing somebody to do something. The truth is the manager, which you don't see in that picture, is the manager's in the front, in the back, in the middle, in the side. He's there at night. He's in there early morning. She's coming in on weekends. A manager is constantly having to work with and manage and help move the team along. The leader just gets to sit up there with a vision. It's so (laughs) – the manager gets such a bad rap when you compare it to the leader. The leader is so much better than the manager, Uh, you know. Well, and sometimes, and it could be, I mean, what do you think about this? I mean, it could be, um, some, some entrepreneurs, you know, they, they wear both hats for a while of leader and manager, and then giving up the reins and actually hiring their first project manager, hiring their first manager. Um, 
I mean, I went through that and it was difficult. It was really, really painful because I felt like I just wanted to like, here, just take care of all this. Like I wanted like a magic bullet and, um, and I, 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 I the supported them. I supported them as much as I could, you know, like let's have a daily call. Let's, you know, meet and, you know, like, what are the problems? Let's try to solve them together. Like gave training, stuff like that. But I mean, I don't know where I went wrong. Like with this particular person I have in mind, you know, and it's like, I feel like there's a lot of entrepreneurs that could be in that same boat. And then some people who have gone beyond it. Um, but again, it's like how we started this conversation. Like, how good are you really? You know, your ego wants yeah. to think you're good. I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought, cause I had the same, when I first hired my first operations director, I had trouble letting go of the operations. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I, it, it was, it was quite the opposite. He's kind of like, isn't that my job? And uh, sure. But <laughs> Yeah, I can see that too. A lot of people have a hard time giving up control or like learning to delegate. No, I don't really at all. That was always my challenge. That was always my challenge. Luckily, but there's still, it's a, everything's a double-edged sword. So while I don't have a problem delegating, you know, and, and wanting to hire that person and like giving up some realm of control, like some people do, but I, there was still a shadow side to that, you know, like it still didn't completely work. You know what I've learned over the, the the years is that I used to be quite a perfectionist, and I mm-hmm. I probably still am quite a perfectionist. But I've relaxed about my my I've been able to te- temper my expectations, mm-hmm. and so as long as we're always moving forward, right? So now instead of like everything has to be a hundred percent, if you're at eighty percent, we're having a pretty good day, right? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> and that was a little bit of, and that is why I had a little bit of trouble of letting go because I could do it at hundred percent without you. And the truth is I needed you to do at least 80%. I could work on this other thing and then we're moving the needle a lot more, you know, a lot further along, but. Well, and the reverse could be true. Like I, I could, I could say that too. I could say, yeah, I have some perfectionistic qualities and I could see in certain situations where, you know, maybe something wasn't done to the level like I learned that 80%. I actually learned it was like 70%. Like the person who told me I'd take 70, whatever, well, well, whatever. But that was a hard lesson to learn for sure. And, and then resisting the urge to want to go, just like get it up to hundred percent yourself. Cause it's faster than trying to explain and go back and forth. But now see, now we're getting to the crux of what the problem is and what the challenge, not the problem, but the real challenge of leadership. I said leadership. The real challenge of management is, is it's super hard to let someone else or make someone else do something because it's so much easier to do it ourselves instead of asking somebody to do something. Let me, let me just go, let me back up and just give you my, my quick little origin story. I got a job working for a management company that manages housekeeping, laundry, and dietary services in healthcare. And I took the job and I rose through the ranks and I became a district manager. And as a district manager, you're in charge of hiring, promoting, and training new managers. And talk about a wake-up call. I had no idea that managers are not just born and they don't do, there's no school to go, Hey, where can I get some new housekeeper managers? You can't just go find housekeeper managers. You literally have to find the best candidate who works for you currently 
ask them, sometimes cajole them, kind of convince them, talk them into taking a manager position. And then you have to teach them how to be an effective manager. And it is a long drawn out process and the success rate is terrible and it's really hard. So a few months into this, I decided I'm gonna start having a Wednesday night meeting. And every Wednesday night, we're gonna meeting this nursing home in a basement in a nursing home. And we're gonna talk about, we're just gonna have open discussions about management. Cause at the time, this is in 2000, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. And I gotta tell you, one of the weird things is that YouTube, it just started, I think YouTube came like maybe 2004, 2005, I'm looking for anything and everything to train my managers with. And I find on YouTube, there's a video and it's called a fireside chat with an executive. And I was like, yeah, all right, let's see what this looks like. Maybe I can share it with my management team. And it is a woman in a business suit and she is legit sitting next to a fire. And she's talking about how to manage. And she's talking about employee engagements and benefits and the idea of having you know, providing lunch for your management team and for your staff and free soda and the refrigerator, all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, we just had a class on how to tell if somebody's on drugs. We have to be, you know, we're working in a completely different environment. We have theft and fighting and belligerence and call outs. Like there's, she's in a different world than we are. So I was like, okay, that's not going to work for us. So we just started talking in a basement every Wednesday night about what, you know, just what our problems are and how we can best solve them. What I didn't know is the owner of the nursing home, he has like three or four nursing homes. He, every Wednesday was his day in that nursing home. And so every Wednesday night, he's in his office right beside this little conference room I'm in, listening to me talk about management. And about a month later, he asked me to see him in his office and he goes, I thought I was in trouble. I was like, I didn't know, you know, cause we're using it at night, nobody was in there. He's like, no, you're fine. He goes, I, I need you to start training my managers. And that's how I started training managers for a living. He was like, nobody is, taking the time to train managers and have these upfront, honest discussions. He goes, most people are trying to talk about pie in the sky things, about how everything's hunky-dory and you're keeping it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm doing how, this is how you tell if they're on heroin. This is how you, you know, if they're passing out, if they, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like we're talking about real problems here. And uh, so that's how it happened. That's how I started working in management. And I've learned so much about what it takes to become an effective manager and what it, how easy it is to fall into not being effective. And so that's, that's my origin story. I love it. And that is so cool. That is a really cool origin story. So let's talk about what are these lies that every leader believes? Well, before I, before I get into the lies, let me tell you, there are five, let me say there are five rules of management. I have five simple rules. I mean, they are so simple. You're going to think they're foolish. Number one, a manager is not allowed to walk by trash. And by trash, I mean any little correctable thing, right? So if there's something out of sorts that should be taken care of, a manager is simply not allowed to walk by it. And most managers, I mean, that's how you get recognized even in the first place, that you'd be good at, at, at as a manager. You're the type of person who doesn't walk by trash, right? I mean, the second rule is you have to always be on time. You can't be in charge if you're not on time. Third rule is you have to dress I always want to say professionally, but you don't have to dress professionally. You have to dress appropriately so that you stand out. If you're in a mix of your employees, you have to be identifiable. I have to be in, immediately be able to see you're in charge. That's easy, right? If you work in construction, it might mean the color of your hard hat is different than everybody else's. Like everybody wears a blue hard hat, but the foreman wears a white one, something like that. Doctors wear lab coats where everybody else wears nursing scrubs so you can see who's in charge. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. You have to get your work done. 
on time. Uh, uh, to be a good manager, you have to be a good worker and you can't put your work off and you can't not do your work. So you have to get your work done. And then finally, you have to be visible. You can't mm -hmm. be hiding in your office all the time. You have to be walking around. You have to be proactively looking for problems that you can solve and help your staff with. That's it. Pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. Don't walk by trash. Be on time. Dress appropriately. Get your work done and be visible. The trash one is really funny to me <clears throat> that it's in there with all those others. Why well, is that in there? You. Yeah. Well, like what's because, the metaphor? <laughs> well, here it is. So we could use those five rules and put them across the board. You don't have to be a manager. I want my staff to follow those five rules. Mm -hmm. I, want my I want my staff to be on time. I want them to dress appropriately. I don't want them to be hiding. I want them to get their work done, right? It's across the board. And I don't want them to walk by trash. I want to, if you see something, pick it up. Right? Staff, here it is. So you're, you're very intuitive because the management piece of it is, I would change it on its head for a manager. Managers are not allowed to walk by trash and they're not allowed to pick it up. So you got to no. tell someone to do it. They're a million percent. Yeah. A million percent. And that's where we lose managers. That's where we lose people who think they can be a manager. That's where we decide. Do you have the, the intestinal fortitude, the guts to say, uh, I need you to pick that up? Because understand what's going to happen. They don't know how it got there. They didn't put it there. They wouldn't have dropped it. Why are you asking them? Who are you to say anything to them? They don't know what the trash yeah. is made of. They don't know how long it's been there. It's unfair that you're targeting me. Why should I do it? Why didn't you tell that other person to do it? I just got here. The number of pushback, the number of complaints that are going to come back at you is so, as soon as it starts, you can see the new manager just go, never mind, I'll pick it up. And you literally just gave up your position. You literally just proved you're not able to do this. And wow. Again, <laughs> we lose seven out of 10 managers in the first 90 days. Five million people on average are promoted to a leadership position every year in two thirds, 3.3 million of them fail in the first 90 days. If you've been managing and you, longer than 90, if you're a day 91, congratulations, you are in the top 30%. Like it's very rare that you get to 91 days as a new manager. Wow. And that, I mean, I know what the cost of turnover is and it's a lot more than people think. Yeah. And management turnover is like, it has a residual. So it doesn't, it doesn't just cost you money right then. It continues to cost you money in inefficiencies and no, there's no oversight. And so it just keeps perpetuating. The cost just keeps burning and going up and going up and going up until you get another manager in there. And then the training starts all over and the staff are like, all right, is this guy going to be any good? And it's, it's crazy. So those are the five rules. Now there are also what we call golden rules of management. And they're almost like almost like golden rules of living, right? Like uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. You've heard of that, right? Yeah, of course. Like, the golden rule. Yeah, that's like, a, that's like a golden rule of life, right? Um, in management, you would say praise publicly and reprimand privately. Yes, that's totally. Like a, a, of course. Uh, a pick your, be, you have to be careful. You have to pick your battles, mm -hmm. right? That's, a, that's another golden rule of management. Then there's, there's um, nobody likes to be micromanaged. So, you know, Another golden rule of management is don't micromanage anyone. You shouldn't have to micromanage anyone. There are everything I just told you is a complete and utterly wrong. And it's the reason you're going to fail at management. 
Wow. So what we, <laughs> okay. You got to break this down. Cause seriously, like golden rule, like the rule golden of life, rule. Never like, ask anyone like, why is that wrong? Anything. Think yeah. about that. Never ask anyone to do anything you wouldn't do. Think about that. That's an easy one, right? You would, everybody would live by that mantra. If you're in a management position or if you want to be in a management position, let me tell you, if you think that you're, you have to pick up the trash so that you prove to everybody else that you're just like them and you wouldn't walk by trash, you're trying to do it by example, you will be the only one picking up trash. And worse, you'll never be able to pick it all up. It'll, there'll always be more trash on the floor than you'll be able to pick it up. And you will always be behind. That, as a matter of fact, you know what's so funny about that? Never ask anyone to do anything. That turn of phrase, never ask anyone to do something that you wouldn't do. That comes from the early 1900s. And it was actually because the unions were, there was this, there was a lot of accidents happening in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s with child labor and safety protocols not being, you know, I mean, technology was, it, demand was outpacing both labor and they was outpacing safety technology tools. I mean, everything was just trying to catch up. And so they had a lot of child labor. They had very, very little oversight. Management wasn't even a formal occupation at the time. It wasn't even a formal career in the early 1900s. And so there was a lot of kids who would get hurt. And unions never liked child labor. And the reason the unions don't like child labor is because you can't represent a child. So they, they wanted no child labor so they could have grown people, grown men and women in the job field so they can be represent them in the union. And <clears throat> so there's a huge outcry. It came to a head. And so what did corporations start doing? Because corporations were being deemed as being very evil, money, greedy, money hungry, greedy SOBs. And so they started to say, listen, we would never ask you to do anything we wouldn't do. You hear that in today's marketing. You hear, we're, we use locally sourced. We put people first. We are green organization. Our organization cares about the environment. Marketing, 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 marketing. What it is saying is we would never, we would, we would never harm the world's children because we care so deeply while they have sweatshops in another part of the country. We would never, you know, uh, we're very environmentally conscious while they're burying, you know, whatever. So all that is, that whole mantra where that turn of phrase came from is that time of time of year or that, that error. And so when you kind of put it in perspective, you're like, oh, okay. So, you know, in management, it's not an accurate statement. In management, could you imagine if I have to be a doctor in order to be a CEO of a hospital? Yeah, you cannot perform all the roles. It's not fair to you and it's not fair to anyone else. How does anyone else grow? You would never do it. That's right. That's right. So uh, let that one's gone. So we can So this that also one, right? kind of Let's, flies in the yeah. face of servant leadership too. Like the whole, like, can you clear up what servant leadership is? Nope. Nope. I could. No, no, no. So servant leadership is a million percent what I practice, what I practice. It's what I preach. It's what I think everybody should do. And it's simply this. Let me explain servant leadership like this. Yes, please. Servant leadership is the idea of volunteerism. So we live in a, what we call a knowledge worker age. A knowledge worker age means that you don't need a special tool in order to work in a lot of fields, you need a special skill set that you learn on the job. So you can learn how to be a nurse, for instance. Mm -hmm. You learn the skills to be a nurse. Once you learn those skills, I don't need to work at your hospital anymore. I can work at any hospital. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when a knowledge worker, 
the idea of how to how to keep a knowledge worker is the same as you would have to try to keep a volunteer. Why would somebody volunteer, let's say, at a hospital? Why would anybody volunteer to work as a hospital for free? They're using their time. They're literally signing up for shifts. They're taking eight-hour shifts. They're doing legit work that other people are getting paid for, and they're doing it for free. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, they want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Number two, they want to be important. They want so they want they want training. They want the ability to use that training in a positive and meaningful way, and they want to see results. They want to see that what they're doing and the time they're investing is actually having a positive impact on whatever it is that they're volunteering for. That is exactly what a knowledge worker wants. So if you are in an industry where you're like, you know, we can't keep staff and I can't figure out why people are not coming in and why they're not staying, you have to understand you work in a knowledge industry and you need to start treating them like volunteers. And that's where servant leadership comes in. So servant leadership is all about giving people the time, the tools, and the training they need to get the job done. There is nothing worse than having a a manager say to you, uh, go move that pile of rubble over there, and then not making sure that you have the tools to do it, the time to do it, the resources to do it, the exact know-how, where's the rubble pile going to go? That's Mm -hmm. servant leadership. Yeah, it's equipping your people to be able to do the job. That's right. Servant leadership is all about empowering people. It is not leading from the front. It is not, I'm going to. Now, there are times, there are absolutely times when you have to lead from the front. There are times, like I set the tone. I I work really hard to set the tone. I I don't shorthand text, nor do I like it when anybody else does. I mean, the one thing that we have as leaders, you finally, when you get into a management position, you finally get a voice and then you give it away through text. I don't understand that. We're finally giving you a, a platform to be professional. Be professional. <laughs> so <laughs> that is true. But you got to lead from the front like that. It's better to lead from the front following the five rules of management, being the type of person who doesn't walk by trash. I don't walk by trash, but I don't pick it up either. There are times when I'll pick it up. You know when I'll pick up trash? If I drop it. There you go. And I mean it sincerely. Yeah. I don't mean if I accidentally throw something at the garbage can and I miss, I'll pick it up. Of course, that's easy. I'm talking about if I'm in a room and there's a big conference room and there's five desks around the corner and I throw a piece of paper at the garbage can and it goes behind a desk that has a workstation on it and three other people and you have there's cobwebs and dust bunnies. I'm under that desk getting that piece of paper because I put it there. That's leading from the front. Do you understand? Yeah, totally. Totally and, I, different. and and the trash even is a micro or it's a metaphor for anything. Exactly. It's exactly. work or whatever has to be exactly. done. Like I love exactly. that. It's so yeah. profound. Yeah. So uh pick another one. Let's say um praise publicly and reprimand privately. Yes. Oh my God, did I love this one as a new manager? I lo- I can't tell you it it made my heart happy. The idea that I had to, if I had to talk to somebody in a hushed tone about something really serious, I could do it in my office, hiding behind my desk, scrouched down going, um, I hope this isn't going to make you super mad, but um, you know, this is the third day you've been late and uh, you know, we can't, I used it for my benefit. I needed the closed door, the hushed room, the, the, the privacy. But, and I learned this, Brian, I didn't learn this for a little bit and I, and I didn't, it, it pains me to, even tell you this part of it. So I, there's this, there's this guy, he, he had three, his, he had three names that started with a D. And so 
His first, middle, and last name started with a D. So he literally called himself Triple D. No. So I swear. So Triple D is the type of employee who's a young guy, always late, always never you can't find him, always leaving early, always forgetting to clock out, you know, which is a, a clear sign that he's leaving without clocking out. And all the other staff members hated him. Like they just you can't work with somebody who doesn't, who's not there, who's budding, you know, taking advantage of the system and, you know, trying to pull one over the manager's eyes. They hated him. I didn't realize it. So I, I finally, I've have enough. I, I've talked to him three or four times privately in my office. Cause I'm praising, I'm, I'm reprimanding privately. I'm following the golden rules. Finally get him in my office and I go, okay, listen, I've got to let you go. I can't put you back on the schedule anymore. There's, I mean, you clearly don't care about this job. And he begs and he's like, I need this job. I'll do better. And I'm like, okay, all right. Holy cow. We just have a big turnaround. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll give you one more chance. He leaves. It's right before lunch. He leaves. I got up my lunch. I'm going my way to the lunchroom. I'm going to heat up my lunch in the microwave. I get right outside the lunchroom door and there's a little hallway there and it's a you know concrete hallway. And I hear one of my staff members say, what did Ralph want to see you about in this office? And Triple D says, nothing. And another woman says, what do you mean nothing? Like, he didn't want to talk to you about it. Why, why are you in there? And he says, oh, he was just telling me about some stuff that we got going on. You know, Ralph and I are good friends. You could, it, you could, I could picture in my mind, like my staff members, their sandwiches, halfway to their mouth, looking at each other with disgust. He lied about me. He lied about what just happened. And I had no way to prove it. From that day forward, I never, ever reprimanded privately. No, 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 no. I'm going to call you out at the time clock when you're at the time clock. I'm going to be on the floor, but I want somebody, somebody has to see me actively making those tough calls, having those difficult conversations. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to dress you down. I'm not going to yell and scream at you on the floor or out in the shop and all like that. But everybody is going to know that you got written up. You know what? Matter of fact, my write-ups are yellow, yellow. And they're on a clipboard that I walk around with. And everybody sees those yellow pieces of paper and they're like, who the heck is he writing up? Because it is super valuable. There's no, you get zero value in having a honest conversation with a employee when other employees are being affected by that employee's behavior. If that employee's behavior is affecting others, you need to be public about it or you get no street cred. You get, it's worse for you. I would say on the other side of this, and I apologize, I can talk all day about this. This is, no, that was phenomenal right there. A lot of people needed to hear that, including myself. So that was good. There's, there's, there's another side about that. And that is the whole praise publicly. And while I do enjoy the idea and the notion of praising publicly, there is a truth that we just should just get out there. And there's two sides to this truth. And one of the truths are you're going to have favorites as much as you shouldn't. You're going to have a favorite employee. There's going to be somebody who just you drive with, you click with, they always come in for you. They're always getting their work done. You never have to talk to them. And when you have to pass out out of girls, she's always the top of the list. And that creates a lot of animosity with the team. If she's always the one getting the public praise. So you got to be careful with praising publicly as well. On the other side of that too, I got to add that I, I have a new book coming out in October and it's called uh, The Good Manager and being great is overrated. So the good manager, because being great is overrated and being good is 
I talk about three different things, how to be a good person, which is the five rules of management, right? Just being a good person and then being good at managing, which is debunking these, these golden rules. And then the last part is called don't be evil. So if you really want to be a good manager, you can't be evil. And we all have a, it is super easy for us to be evil, especially when you give us Please any explain. Kind of power. This was a core value of Google's that they actually took off their manifesto or their philosophy page a while ago, but explain what you mean. I mean, it is very easy to, when you become, when you get into any position of power, you get mm. the ability to reprimand people and hold people or do things to people that they don't have the ability to do to you. And that is fine when you're in a leadership position or a management position, or if you're in a parenting position, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, if you're the dad or you're the mom and the child messes up, it's your, it's your responsibility and your ability. You have the ability to punish and to reprimand. You just got to make sure you're not taking it too far. That's almost, that is the crux of the argument for a two parent family. And I don't care which gender, but there should be two people who one holds the other back from killing the kid. And I don't mean physically, I just mean, you know, like going too far. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was, I, my mom would say, dinner's gonna be at five o'clock. So you gotta be home by five o'clock. And I got home at six. My mom sent me to bed without dinner. So does being late uh, or being sent to bed without food uh, equal punishment to being late? Some would say no. Some would say it's a little harsh, right? Mm -hmm. Conversely, uh, the other option was uh, sometimes I would be late coming home and I would get beat for it. Now, is a butt whooping worth, is that equal to being late? Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends on how late you are, right? Well, and it also <laughs> depends on the child, you know, uh, not every sure, child is going to learn, you know. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. But you see how easy and, and I'm it is not, to be. I'm not promoting no. any of those punishments, by no, the no, way. No, I, I'm just saying no, no, like, and, you know, it's equal to the consequence is equal to the infraction. And also how does that person also specifically. So you're making my point. You're making yeah. my point. My point is you have to be conscious of when you're in charge that you have more of, I have a way more ability to punish my staff than my staff have to punish me. Mm -hmm. They can't dock my pay. They can't change my shift. They can't, they can't fire me, mm -hmm. right? They, I can do all those things to them. So I said, I have to, as managers, we have to make sure that we're not evil. We're not overstepping or using our authority too much. And in that light, I'll say, when you're teaching kids, I have a degree in teaching, I have a certificate in teaching. I, for a long time, wanted to be a school teacher. Now I teach in, in organizations, but I would love the idea. I always love the idea of working with kids. and when it comes to teaching kids, it is super important to know that there are going to be some kids that you don't like. They're seven years old and you don't like them. They're mouthy. They have an attitude. They, they're constantly not doing anything. They're breaking pencils. They're always, here's the thing. If you want to be an effective man, effective teacher, they can never know you don't like them. Mm -hmm. They can never know. It's the same thing with management. I don't do my team any good if they know I have a favorite. And I don't do them any good if I, if I let them know that I don't like them. So it is super important. There are some people who work for me. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't stand that kid. <laughs> but I can't show it. As soon as I show it, I'm, I've already lost. Don't be evil. Super good point. Yeah. This, you guys, I mean, this is, this is, I don't know about everybody listening, but I feel like this has been a really good teaser for your book. And uh, let everyone know how they can learn more about you and your upcoming book. 
And then I'd love for you to finish us off with a final nugget of wisdom. Sure, sure. Uh, so first of all, it's just ralphpeterson.com. That's the best place you can find out. I'm going on, I'm doing a book tour starting in early November. And the book is called The Good Manager Being Great is Overrated. And it's a fun, it's my fourth book. And it's it's a lot of fun. I, I really, I'm really trying to make my job is to make managers successful. My job is to help people break it down and to understand where they get it wrong and how to get it right. And so that's really what the book is about. It's just broken up into three different sections on how to get it right, where we get it wrong and how to get it right again. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And as for my words of wisdom, I would, I, I would say two things. One, have you ever seen a black swan? Personally, no. No. Did you know that prior to 1693, I think, nobody ever believed there was anything other than white swans? Like no European country, the Bible does not speak of, the Bible literally talks about swans being white and pure as snow and all that. So there, there was never any mention of any swan other than white. And so up until 1690s, nobody ever believed there was anything but white swans. And then this explorer goes and He's in uh, Australia on the western side of Australia, and he finds black swans. And holy cow, he finds black swans, and he brings them back. And it is a, it is a huge slap in the face. It's a slap in the face to the church. It's a slap in the face to society. It's a, it literally shakes people to their core. They start fundamentally having to relook at everything that they're that they see, or everything they've ever known, or were raised to believe. And that is what management is like. You were you were raised prior to listening to me that praising publicly and reprimanding privately was the best thing to do. I hopefully maybe I shook your core about that a little bit. It's the same thing with the whole the whole idea of choosing your battles. You should never choose your battle. Well, you let me say this: you lose every battle you choose not to fight. So if you're willing to not not choose, if you're willing to not fight it, just know you're losing that battle. There's big consequences with the five rules. They're always different. And the second thing I would say is. There is a real, real lack of leaders, real lack of managers, people who are willing to move into a management position. So it's a skill like learning how to drive a car. It is a skill like learning how to paint a house or sell anything. Management is a learnable skill. And if you've ever had the uh, uh, inkling or uh, any kind of a thought that maybe you'd be good at it, or maybe you could take your shot at doing it. I ask you to do it. We have a real shortage of managers in the entire world, in every industry, whether it's your local community, whether it's government, whether it's your church, organizations. There's not an organization in the world that is not looking for a manager. There's none. Everybody is looking for managers because we need people to step up and say, yes, I will be responsible. I will take charge. Be that type of person. And uh, if I can help you at all with that, RalphPeterson.com. I hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave a like, comment, and or review. Every interaction, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform, helps this podcast to reach more people like you. Thank you for tuning in to the Higher Genius Podcast.